Let's stand together. We're coming now to God's Word. Let's stand. Romans chapter 4. Find it in the church Bibles, and it's also printed right there in your worship folder as well. Romans chapter 4, and beginning at verse 18, and we're looking this morning in our series in Paul's letter to the Romans, up to verse 21 of chapter 4. Let us pray. Lord, would you attend with power the preaching of your word? And would you, by your spirit, through your word, give all of us refreshment, conviction, comfort, as you know we need? For the sake of Jesus, we ask, and in his name, amen. So friends, Romans chapter 4, let's hear God's word. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Do please sit down. It's a great joy to be with you this morning. Looking forward to our time together now in the Bible. We're going to find a way. We always have. So says the hero in Hollywood's latest blockbuster, Interstellar. Well, without giving away any plot spoilers, Interstellar tells the story of a mission to find hope for a humanity whose world is rapidly perishing through environmental chaos by a home in the stars. Hope. It's certainly in short supply these days, isn't it? Even in the Christian church, where critics have long been saying that we do not practice what we preach. There is, they say, a gap between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. There's a line between faith and deeds. A difference between those who say they want to do what Jesus would do and those who actually do what Jesus would do. How do we close that gap. Where's the hope for putting our faith into practice? Well, our passage today, Paul is saying that true hope for us, for our society, for our churches, comes from understanding how faith grows. 
It seems to me that in these verses here, Paul is actually commentating on, in some ways in a slightly rabbinic fashion, obviously as a Christian now, but that same style, he's commentating on and summarizing four stages of Abraham's journey with faith, where, as he says, he began with hope against hope. And then ended, in the final verse we're looking at this morning, with full conviction. Now, those of us who know the story of Abraham will realize that that story was far from a picture of moral perfection. Abraham behaved badly at times. But I actually think Paul is referencing that. He is alluding to that in these four stages, and they're wrestling through the issues that Abraham faced in the real world, hoping against hope. In fact, I think Paul is answering the very question that some people think he's skipping over. That is, how on earth could Abraham be such a model of faith, given all that Abraham did? And what I think Paul is saying is it all comes down to understanding how faith grows. This is why, if you've got a Bible open in front of you, he actually concludes in verse 22, a verse that rounds off our passage today, as well as introducing The next passage, it's a sort of bridge verse, he concludes there, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, how can Abraham be considered an example of orthodoxy when he was so evidently not an example of orthopraxy? How is it that his faith is such a big deal when his practice was less than impressive? It's about understanding how faith grows in him, in us. Faith, a bit like uh, a seed, begins small, hoping against hope, and ends big, full conviction. So first seed, then shoot, then tree, then fruit. First, seed. So Paul says it's beginning with this wrestling with the promise that Abraham received, that uh, his offspring would be the recipients of that promise. And the quotation that Paul was referring to here at the beginning of our passage comes from Genesis 15. And there in the story at that point, which Paul is commentating on, Abraham had had just suggested to God that a member of his own household, not his actual physical child, but a member of his own household could instead inherit God's promise. Abraham is old, you see. Apparently, he cannot quite understand how God's promise would come to him through his physical child. And so he makes this alternative suggestion to God. How about this way, God? And God in the story says, well, no, actually, it's going to be through your own natural-born child. And Abraham believes God, and God counts it to him as righteousness. And Paul here says, 
This is the hoping against hope. What an interesting way of summarizing it. What does he mean? I think what he means is that this is the kind of hope that Abraham had, which was not the sort of thing we normally mean by hope. So when you and I say hope, we mean hope so. As in, this is the sort of thing that we expect or maybe even predict would happen given the normal course of events. And if things continue along the way that they've been going now, along the same trajectory, this is what will be the future result. Hope so. I hope so. Well, evidently, that was not the kind of faith that Abraham had. After all, for things to continue along the same way they've been going, along the same trajectory of circumstances as you predict into the future, there would have been no possibility for having a natural child. None at all. But God promised he would. And so Abraham had a different kind of hope. This is not hope as in expectation or prediction. It is more like an anticipation of an inevitable future reality. It's based upon a sure and certain promise from God that such and such will be, and therefore we hope for it in the sense that we eagerly anticipate it. We know it's going to happen, but not because we look at the surrounding circumstances and expect it will happen based upon the current trajectory of events. (laughs) That was not the hope that Abraham had. The current trajectory of events was not going to be a child. He was so old, there was no way that was going to happen. But because God promised it would, now he accepted it and he believed it, and so he had hope, an eager anticipation of what God would do as he had promised he would do. See, this is a hope based on the authority of God God, not based upon the cleverness of human predictions. Let me try and illustrate the difference. Oliver O'Donovan, until quite recently, Regis Professor of Moral Theology at Oxford University, has an illustration that helps. It's about authority. He says that we tend to think of authority as something outside reality telling us to do something that doesn't match the facts. But authority, O'Donovan says, is really more like gravity. It is something invested in reality. There's an authority of oxygen, so you cannot stay long unassisted underwater. The authority of gravity is something it makes sense to take into account when you're standing on top of a tall building. And similarly, when God, with his authority as the author of all, promised that such and such would be, what it made sense for Abraham to believe, to hope against hope. To have hope in God, even though normal human hope told him it was not possible. 
You see, this is what faith, even germinal, beginning, seed-like faith, this is what faith can do for us. Uh, People tell us these days, don't they, that Christianity is in decline. Not true. What is declining in America, if anything, is cultural Christianity. Followers of Jesus are booming. These are some statistics, a little old now, but still relevant, from the Lausanne Statistical Task Force. They said this, in 1430, one in 99 of the world's population were Christians. 1790, one in 49. 1940, one in 32, 1970, one in 19, 1980, one in 16, 1983, one in 13, 1986, one in 11, 1994, one in 10. And so from 1934 to 1994, the number of Christians in the world increased by, they estimated, 1,300%, from 40 million to 500-odd million in the last 60 years, while the world's population grew by only 400%. Descendants as many as the stars in the sky. Hope in Christ. But you say, okay, Josh, that's all very well, but my reality, (laughs) you you don't understand my life. That's different. Well, first we have seed, verse 18, and then verse 19, second, shoot. And Paul says that Abraham considered some things, his reality. And I think Paul was referring to Genesis chapter 16 now. Seemed clear there to Abraham that his body was as good as dead, as uh, Paul puts it in this verse. And the womb of his wife Sarah was too. Paul here uses the word dead to refer back to the previous section where he had described God as the God who gives life to the dead. Well, if God is the God who can raise the dead, then he can give life to Abraham's dead body and to Sarah's dead womb. Paul says that Abraham did not weaken in faith. But now hold on, we think. Genesis 16 describes how Abraham tried to bring about God's promise through a concubine. Hagar. And a child was even born. Ishmael. Now, come on, Paul. If anything is a weakening in faith, surely that is. Well, we can say perhaps we should notice that up to this point, God had not specifically said that the child would come through Sarah. He had only said it would come from Abraham. And, well, that doesn't excuse Abraham's actions to the Hagar. Perhaps it explains it. When God specifically, in the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 17, says that it would be by Sarah, Abraham responds by just laughing. So evidently, Abraham, at this point in his yet developing faith, 
had somehow rationalized that at his advanced age, it might be somehow possible for him to have a child. But it would be quite impossible for Sarah. And so, as it were, he gave God a helping hand by uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Now, this was wrong. But it was not as if Abraham had stopped believing in God. Or even that he had stopped believing in his promise. No, he was believing the promise. He just did not think it could happen through Sarah. So he tried to find another way to get it done. A wrong way. In other words, Abraham's faith did not finally weaken. Even in this situation... But he did consider his own dead body and the dead womb of Sarah and the tender shoot of his faith was misled by these circumstances, by this reality. I wonder what circumstances might be threatening to weaken your faith, the tender shoot of your faith. Often it is something quite personal, even physical. Many people have found that, you know. It's all very well to come to church and sing songs with enthusiasm and Go to Bible studies with dedication every single week. But then you have to deal with a bad back that's killing you. Or a near-death experience that uh, has left you wounded. Or a brain-dead mistake that you made some years ago that still haunts you. Or a dead member or womb like Abraham and Sarah that leaves you childless. Or a child who appears to be dead to the faith. What then do we do? Sing some more songs? Get more excited again? How then do we not weaken in faith. How then do we persevere? Well, the only advice I can offer you is the advice that Paul gives. Even if you weaken in your body, do not weaken in your faith. It's all part of a growing experience, really, isn't it? Faith is a bit like a muscle, I think. It grows strong as it is exercised. And in some way or other, we are all on God's spiritual weightlifting machine. <laughs> he doesn't keep us at the same weight set forever. Gradually, he increases the amount we are lifting so that our faith does not weaken. You know, the strongest man I ever met had to be helped in by two other men, one on either side, to his seat, and he addressed us with shaky voice. 
I don't know, you may have hurt your knee playing basketball, injured your back playing football. To learn, under the sovereign providence of God, to learn not to weaken in faith, even if you are weak in mind or body. Few lessons are more important to learn and learn long before you face real physical threat. So first, seed, hope against hope. Second, shoot, not weaken in faith. Third, tree. Now here we have many different ideas about what it means to grow. And uh, sometimes they're connected just to numbers of attendees at a religious event as if the number of people going in a certain direction was more important than going in the right direction. You know, who would want more people on the Titanic, not less? But Paul here in verse 19 talks of growth as growing strong in faith. A spiritual growth in character. Abraham, and I think Paul is now referring to Genesis 17, 15, 16, 17. He commentates on this story in the four stages of faith growing. He's referring now to Genesis 17. Abraham was becoming a strong tree of faith. He had been through some difficult tests already. He had left home. He had accepted God's promise at face value. He'd considered his own weakness, but somehow kept believing despite the 10 years or so after the first promise. And there was Hagar. And now, in Genesis 17, God addresses Abraham. And he tells him that it will not be through Hagar, but through Sarah. And Abraham's response is classic. He laughs. In fact, we are specifically told he falls down on his face laughing. Now, I've seen laughter in my time. I've seen head back wide, open mouth. I've seen loud laughter and a quiet chortle. I've seen slap my thigh laughter. I like to laugh. I've never yet fallen down on my face laughing. It's always been interesting to me that nowhere do we specifically hear in the Bible that God rebukes Abraham or Sarah, who later also laughs, for laughing. In fact, there seems to be some divine approval, I think, in the accepted name that they give to Isaac, which means he laughs. In other words, this was not a cynical laugh. This was not laughter at God. This was not unbelieving laughter. This was, well, as Paul says, growing strong in faith. Laughter. Now, I know there were some medieval monks who, we are told, believed that all laughter was wrong. And perhaps uh, we can have sympathy with that view, you know, that silliness and giddy idiocy and the like is at times unhelpful in church. We are dealing this morning with matters of great seriousness, of course. But the person who is to be treated with seriousness, that's God, not you or me. 
This growing strong in faith is partly, it seems to me, about learning to take ourselves less seriously and God more seriously. Abraham, we are told, laughed and said to himself, can this really happen? He's laughing at the situation. He's laughing at the absurdity of two centenarians procreating. And this kind of laughter is making ourselves small and making God big. It is, as Paul puts it, a giving glory to God. Falling on your face, as Abraham did. An ancient sign of obeisance, of worship, of getting low before the great God. With a faith that was growing strong. A faith without which it's impossible to please God. Let alone glorify Him. And here He worshipped. By falling on his face. Laughing at his own absurdity and the extraordinariness of the situation. Now there have been movements from time to time that made a merit out of giggling. And that's not what I'm saying. And There have been people who seem to feel that if they crack more and more cheesy jokes, they'll convert more and more heathens. That's not what I'm suggesting. I've always liked Spurgeon, who was once criticized for using too much humor in his sermons when he said, My dear lady, if only you knew how much I restrain myself. That's a little bit better, but I don't think even that's quite what Paul is saying here. A growing strong in faith is a strong tree to give glory to God as always now rooted and planted and established in God, and ourselves not at all. And in a sense, we're, we in our humanity, in our fallenness, in our finiteness, in our brokenness, are worthy of good nature, faith-filled laughter. Because the faith is not in ourselves, but in God, in whom we grow strong and who therefore is glorified. I was rather um, amused recently to discover that one of the great established churches of Europe was addressed by a very senior and eminent cleric. And in this moment, he told them in sort of ringing tones, prophetically, that they must evangelize or fossilize, you see. And he sort of called up the great heroes of the past, you know, Cuthbert, Hilda, and Aidan, who spread Christianity in Anglo-Saxon times, evangelize or fossilize. And he finished this speech, and the synod responded by voting to set up a committee. <laughs> Part of me wonders whether it would have been better if they had fallen on their face laughing. At least it would have been more honest. You mean us? Re-evangelize Europe? (laughs) But maybe, maybe there's someone who could do that. Tree. Growing strong in faith in God. Fourth, fruit. Look at verse 21. Fully convinced 
that God was able to do what he had promised. Well, again, I think this is also an allusion, of course, to Abraham, and this time Sarah too, and now into chapter 18. Paul was referring to and looking ahead to chapter 22, the famous finish to this section in Genesis. Here in 18, Sarah laughs too. She overhears God's promise to Abraham. How could she bear a child? And then God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And this seems to be a direct reference to that question. Sarah denies she has laughed. She's never rebuked for having done so. She's afraid that maybe she'd done something wrong. Perhaps, how can this be? How can this come about that I should have a child at my advanced age, but now fully convinced that God was able? That is, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a wonderful little phrase. You can trace it throughout Scripture. It's picked up again, I think, in Uh, The announcement of the angel to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. A far greater child coming in a far greater way. Well, Abraham is now fully convinced. His faith is not just hoping against hope. It's come now, as Paul says, to a fuller, full conviction. In other words... What Paul is saying is that Abraham's faith actually did make him righteous. It changed him. It took him from hoping against hope to not weakening in the face of circumstances that would have weakened anyone. To not wavering when presented with a promise that seemed so extraordinary as to be frankly impossible. (laughs) Well, God can do that. To getting over himself in order to contemplate the God who was powerful to do whatever he said he was going to do. It doesn't mean that Abraham was perfect from here on or never made any other mistakes. It means that he was growing, growing in faith. Now fully convinced as he understood more fully who God was that he was able to do what he had promised. There's a difficulty with this whole kind of growing thing, isn't there, in Christian circles? I I think part of the problem is we're not always sure that growing up is a more attractive option than the alternative. I've always loved uh, the Calvin and Hobbes cartoons, and I was uh, amazed to discover uh, just uh, a few weeks ago or so that Bill Watterson, the reclusive author of those cartoons, has actually done a few new ones uh, of a different vein. Made me look again at the originals. And the original Calvin and Hobbes, at one point, Calvin asks his mother whether he can get contact lenses, and his mum says no. She often had to say no to Calvin. You'll realize you have read the cartoon strip. Well, Calvin pushes back and he says, Look, if I had contacts, I can make one eye blood red and the other eye yellow striped like a bug. Next picture. He's sitting outside with Hobbes saying, 
I don't know, it seems like once people grow up, they have no idea what's cool. (laughs) But Abraham laughed. He grew strong. He did not waver or weaken despite the weakness of his own body. He hoped against hope. Because he knew God was able to do what he had promised. In other words, his faith had a future. Does yours? It's a saying from the 20s or 30s, which is, you've got to have a dream. If you don't have a dream, how can you have your dream come true? But that's not what we're talking about. Orthodoxy becomes orthopraxy, real, put into practice when faith has true hope, even hoping against hope to begin with. So we face the facts, we look at the circumstances, we Consider the evidence and then look at God. Fall on your face with laughter, if you must, but with strong faith. For our hope is not an interstellar flight to another galaxy. It's not a human hope in our own abilities, but a new heaven and a new earth, a new body risen from the dead, a journey which begins now as we evangelize, not fossilize. We give our lives for something that will last forever. That faith has a future. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you that We have this hope. We pray that you would help us to even hope against hope. To not weaken in faith. To grow strong in faith. And so bear the fruit of full conviction. Not because we are so clever. Not because our circumstances are so auspicious and likely to lead to something good.
but because you are God and you have promised. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.